For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and an inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. By now, you know how much Jenny and I love talking about women and money. So of course, we had to invite Denise Duffield-Thomas onto the show. We had such a lovely conversation, such fun chatting with her. And if you haven't heard about Denise DT before, let me give you her background. Denise is the money mentor for the new wave of online entrepreneurs who want to make money and change the world. She helps women charge premium prices, release the fear of money, and create first-class lives. Her books, Lucky Bitch, Get Rich Lucky Bitch, and Chillpreneur give a fresh and funny roadmap to living a life of abundance without burnout. Her money boot camp has helped over 6,000 students, and you'll hear her new goals for this program in the interview. She's a lazy introvert, a Hay House author, and an unbusy mother of three. She lives by the beach in sunny Australia and also owns a rose farm. You'll hear her tell the story of purchasing the rose farm and how it came to be. It shows you that even when you work on money mindset for as long as Denise has, the work is never done. Let's listen now to our conversation with Denise Duffield-Thomas. Hello, Denise. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, ladies. I love doing multiple host podcasts. It's different, isn't it? I think so much it? fun. Mm-hmm. It really is. Often we talk over each other or we're all like, like it's with the, you know, body language and the facial expressions, like I got something to say. So it'll be fun. So welcome. We are so excited to have you here. We've actually spent 45 minutes preparing to talk to you with all our questions and look diving into all of your stuff. So 
Let's start. So can you first tell us, we would love to hear, for those of you who are the listeners who are not familiar with you, I don't know how many there are out there, but there might be a few. Just tell us a little bit about your business. Specifically, we would love to hear when and how did you decide to go into this whole money mindset business? Yes, what a great question. So, I mean, I call myself a money mindset mentor because I I don't operate as a coach or a consultant these days. I really consider myself to be part of this conversation around particularly women and money and inspiring people to make more money, to feel good about charging for what they do. And I firmly believe that more money in the hands of women in particular will help us change the world. So that's kind of what I do. But for me, I was really inspired at an early age by watching Oprah after school. And I just saw that her mission was just to help people. And so I was always the friend that would try and help my friends with their goals or dreams or listen to their problems or whatever. And so, but I didn't think that was a job. So I didn't know there was anything like coaching, consulting or anything. I thought, well, that's Oprah's job and she has that job and that's it. So this is my hobby (laughs) that I'll do. But then when I look at some of the businesses that I was trying to start in my 20s, one of the first ones was being an internet dating coach because internet (laughs) dating was very new and I was doing it myself and I'm always the sort of person, I learn something, I want to teach it to someone else. And so as I was trying to navigate internet dating, I totally like created a system I made it into this project. I actually did my marketing dissertation on internet dating. And then I was like, oh my God, men are so bad at this. I'm going to teach them how to do this. And so I've, I think those early businesses were all about just trying to help people solve a problem. But it wasn't until I was, I think about 30, that I started to become a life coach because by then I'd, I'd seen that it was a p- profession And there was starting to be more life coaching schools. And I was like, okay, I think this is something that I should explore because this is who I am. I want to help people with their lives. And and I think when you start a business like that too, you start to filter down what you're really good at. And for me, I, I realized I love talking to the entrepreneurs more than people who are in corporate jobs. And I love talking to the women more than I like talking to the men in general. And then I realized I really liked talking about money rather than the nuts and bolts of marketing or strategy. And so it was just a process of elimination. And then I thought, I'm just going to do one money course, just one time and see how it goes. And I'll share the things that I'm learning. So I think I did it for 14 people. And then I was like, okay, that's it. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll run it again. And so we've had over 6,000 people in that. And I was just talking to my hubby just before I got on this call. And I said, oh, my next goal is 12,000. I said, it took us 10 years or eight years to get to 6,000, you know, can we double that in like three years? Yeah, absolutely. Did you feel when you decided to teach that money course that, did you feel like you had figured out money mindset for yourself or were you still in the process of learning? I'm still in the process of learning today, you know, and so I, I'm a student of everything. I'm a student of personal development, personal growth, you know, so much I'm learning at the moment by watching what's happening in America. You know, I'm learning about all the topics that are embedded deeply into all of our work, but I'm learning about racial injustice and how it relates to money. And I think every time I've taught something, it's just, you know, I, I've, I've kind of learned it and I've taught where I've been at. You know, when I started, I never, I, I was not like, 
oh, I'm a millionaire. Let me teach you how to be a millionaire. It was, oh, I've learned this thing about money. Let me share this with you. And so I've always come from a place of sharing as a contributor, not as a guru. And I think this is such an important thing for all of us to learn is because women often feel like they're not ready or they'll feel ready at some point. Like when I'm qualified enough and when I feel like I know enough and I know every angle of it, instead of thinking, okay, well, someone where they're at could hear this lesson of where I'm at too. I think I've always like just done that. I've never misrepresented where I've been at, but I've just been okay to share as a contributor and as a student. Yeah, I, that was a bit of a leading question because I, I asked because I know so many of our listeners and our clients are always like, I'm not ready to because I don't have the certificate or I don't, I've not finished or I don't know enough or I don't know everything. And so I just kind of led you into that question. Yeah, I get it, right? And, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, oh, when I've lost weight or when my kids are at school or when... I get divorced, I'll feel ready. And we, we, I just don't think we'll never ever feel ready. ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. That's right. So can we hear a little bit about childhood, money, specifically your mother's mindset about money? Like what did you learn? Oh, yeah. So, you know, we're so influenced by our parents and, and what they talk to us about money, but what they show us about money. And I mean, my particular situation is that my mom had me very young. So she was 18. She was kind of on and off again with my dad, who was, you know, her boyfriend. He was actually my uncle's best friend. So it was like my uncle's best friend who was coming over to the house all the time. And they had a baby together and they probably shouldn't. But she raised me within a framework of like total love of freedom. You know, because I always talk about how we're on welfare and all this kind of stuff, but but what she was a stand for is freedom, and that meant that if she was in a relationship that wasn't working out, we would move like that. You know, like she would be like, "We're moving today," and what that taught me was some really interesting lessons. One that money isn't permanent, you know, and and you can't really trust it. So I was def- definitely someone who's very scared of committing to things because what's the point of putting pictures on your walls? if you're going to be moving. And that has been a through line of my business and and my relationships. I've always been very reluctant to commit to things. But a really important lesson too that I I learned at a young age is, so, you know, we didn't have very much money, but my mum married a rich man when I was about 11. And they were on and off again for a couple of years. And what I decided from that is men have all the money, men have all the power. And it took me a long time to unlearn that. But it also informs my work because I'm so passionate about women having choices through money. But what I've discovered is when I first looked at this money work, I was like, oh, well, it's pretty clear to me. If you didn't have money growing up, of course you can have money blocks. But if you had money growing up, you're probably going to be perfect around money. And it's, it's just so not the case. And I remember asking my community and said, how did you grow up around? Like, were you poor? Were you middle class? Were you wealthy? And like, tell me some of your money blocks. And so we had people who were poor, but they didn't know they were poor because everyone in their community was the same. We had people who were middle class, but they, their parents raised them to kind of believe that they were poor by being really frugal and like panicky about money. We had people who were middle class and thought they were rich because their family was just so abundant with the way they talked about money. We had people who didn't realize their parents were millionaires. We've had people whose parents were millionaires and felt like money was bad and money was good. And it's, I love the richness of all of our stories because 
there's so much nuance to it, right? You could have actually been quite well off, but you were in a neighborhood with people who were even more well off. So you felt poor. It's all, it's very, very complex. And and what I really enjoy about my work is hearing different people's stories and the beliefs that they created from their circumstances. Would you say that in your experience working with so many people and so many women, is there a particular stage in life or pattern that brings people to this work? Oh, you know what? I've never never explored in terms of stage of life, but I think very clearly I see people who have hit an income plateau. And the funny thing about this work that I do is we have people in there who have never made any money when they start and people have made millions of dollars, but their plateau feels the same. The plateau feels exactly the same to all of us. It feels real. It feels insurmountable. And it doesn't matter how much income you have, you usually have to go back and and do the basics to overcome that plateau. So I think it is that moment of frustration. Some people come and go, I think I could just learn more about this topic because I'm interested in it. But some people come to it and just go, I'm just, I'm a little bit stuck. You know, and I get that. I, I hit income plateaus as well. Sorry, I'm just plugging my phone. I hit income plateaus as well. And I have to go back and do the work. You know, I have to be immersed in the work too, because it's not one and done ever. So I think that's a great segue into this. Uh, what we really want to explore is one particular story about your life that you recently wrote on Instagram, which is you buying a rose farm. And I read that caption twice and I was like, this is a beautiful story arc of even someone who, for someone who's done so much work on money mindset, but just the story of how you saw it and didn't, you know, think you could afford it and people told you that you couldn't and then you did. So do you want to share that with us? Yes, absolutely. And actually I got a new nuance to this yesterday because I was talking about an interview. And what I realized was it's not that I didn't think I could afford it. I didn't think I was allowed Hmm. to have a holiday house that was purely for pleasure and joy. Because for those of you who don't know, so I I bought a rose farm about about 18 months ago, but it came from a desire to have some more pleasure and joy in my life. And when I was pregnant with my last baby, I couldn't read business books. I couldn't read money books. I wanted to read things about pleasure. So I started reading magazines and books about country houses. It just gave me real peace of mind, you know, just just looking at pictures of people's like flowery curtains and stories of people who started a garden and filling my feed with people who were growing flowers, you know, the real joy and pleasure of life. And unfortunately, and fortunately, this is how the law of attraction works, right? You're planting those seeds no matter what. And so I didn't realize I was planting these seeds of one of those homes for myself. And so after about six months of my whole you know, pregnancy reading these books, I just thought, wow, that actually is a goal of mine. Sometime in the future to have a holiday house, like maybe when I'm a grandma, you know, <laughs> and I could bake bread and have an apron and do all that stuff. And so I said to Mark, hey, why don't we spend some of our weekends going to open houses just for fun? You know, let's just go and just go and see just for pleasure. And so this property came up and I thought, I don't want to buy it. Like I can't, no, that's ridiculous. But I'll go look at it because why not plant a seed for some time in the future? And I got out of my car and I stood there and I went, can I swear? (laughs) I was like, oh no. I went, oh, universe, I can't believe you brought this into my awareness. I, I can't. This is too, I'm too young. It's inappropriate for me to have 
a dream house because I live in my beach dream house and a property just for pleasure for the weekend. That is just too much abundance for anybody. And, you know, and I did the logistics. I called my broker and said, hey, like, you know, could this be possible? And they were like, no. So I went, okay, why don't you guys come out and see it as well? And they, they got out of the car and went, oh, okay. All right, we can make this happen. And so there's something there about coming full circle to commitment. My family have never owned land. And it is such a commitment having land and having space and being responsible for these rose bushes and being responsible for 10 acres of land. And see why it's come into my life. But also it was, it was joy and it was a really good lesson of how much joy are you allowed to have? How much pleasure are you allowed to have? How much abundance are you allowed to have? And then I think when you do that, then the, the logistics and the next step become clear because then it was like, oh, well, I can always just go out and get more money, but I have to give myself permission to have the thing. Because mm-hmm. you said in your post, I'm not that bothered about making more money until I have a dream attached to it. Absolutely. So it's not that I was getting stagnant in my business, but I was just kind of like, I love helping people, but do I want to continue to, you know, grow my business even further? Because, you know, there's work involved and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I I just wasn't feeling the need to grow and grow and grow my business. And then what's been really fun is, hey, we need a new roof on the barn. You know, that's $20,000. We need Um, We're renovating a horse stable into like a film studio. That's $50,000. And so I can really then go, well, I have a mechanism to help people and to build a film studio. And I think that sometimes we're shamed about that, you know, about connecting our, you know, of course we want to help people, but it's super motivating if you have an emotional goal attached to that as well. And I really want to fix that barn and I really want to, put more rose bushes in there. And so what I do mentally and physically is I really, I see that connection. And like in the horse studio at the moment, it's just got tin, a tin wall, but I'm going to go and write all the people who joined that month who mm. contributed to that, you know, and one of the projects I want to do is a staircase in the barn. And that's like $15,000 for a staircase. And so I'm like, oh, before we put the rises, is that what they called the rises or the treads? I'm going to write people's names who joined, you know, boot camp with that intention. So then it's just, yeah, the, all the spirit of all the people who are in my business, it's just an extra layer for me. You know, I don't feel like we always need it, but I, I think we do, you know, because sometimes doing work in your business is uncomfortable. Asking for the sale is uncomfortable. If you can have an extra excitement and payoff for yourself that's going to do good in the world as well, I think it's only going to help. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live-streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. Unlike other startups, Namastream was created by women for women. If you're looking for a simple, streamlined way to build and grow an online business, you can learn more at namastream.com. It feels like indulgent right? To like Mm -hmm. do this thing that is just for you and your family. And so I think, I think it's interesting. So is that how, is that part of what you teach your clients is like, have this goal or a thing that you're like really, really emotional, like Abraham Hicks 
talks or teaches about like being emotionally connected that, to that. And that's going to drive your success toward it. I think it's one of the things because sometimes people get a bit stressed by that, right? Because they go, oh God, do I want it enough? Is it okay for me just to want to pay my mortgage? Mm, that's not indulgent. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so I think sometimes we focus too much on the goal part of it and the desiring and the wanting. I also like doing all the other stuff in between of, you know, there's there's a ton of action that you can do as well. But what I do, say for example, with the Rose Farm, there was a ton of things that I did to create confirmation bias for myself. And there were a few things I shared in that post where I switched my toilet paper over to the one with roses on it, (laughs) right? Because I was like, I can't just sit here and want it because sometimes the wanting turns into desperation. You know how you've done that? I've done it before where I've just gone, I want it so bad. And then I just feel like vomiting because it's just, it's too much. It's too much desire. It's like, ugh. And so I layer all of these things in so I can sit down to do my business and go, ah, roses. Oh yeah. Okay. I do want that. Uh, My daughter's middle name is Piper Rose. And so I was like, oh, well, she's meant to grow up on on that. So I was create I was deliberately creating these things for myself. Every night before I went to bed, I watched the real estate listing video because they did a beautiful promotional video of like drone footage over it. And so I'd watch it with Mark and I was like, imagine our kids getting married here. Imagine our kids getting married here. And we would drive we would go for drives on every single weekend while we were, you know, in the process of we would drive out there and we, it was it's about 45 minutes from where we live at the beach. And we would just sit outside it. And I was like, this is our place. And every little thing I could think of to do with roses. So I bought some roses. I doodled roses. I was singing songs about roses. I was playing songs about roses. Because I knew that I couldn't just sit there and just go, desire, 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 desire. I needed to layer in all of the bit more of a grounded certainty that I could do it. And what's really funny about it is we got a message from one of the previous owners and this rose farm has changed hands every couple of years because no one's been able to make it work. And this previous owner, she contacted me. She was the daughter of the previous owner. And she said, you know, there's a three-year curse on the rose farm. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, no one's been able to hold it for more than three years. She said, we managed to do four and then my parents got divorced. And, you know, the previous owners to us, they only had it for a couple of years. And the two owners before me had it for like two, two years each. And so I know that there's something in there for me, right? You know, yeah. breaking the cycle. And this is what I teach in a lot of my work is, you know, you might've had cycles of poverty in your family. You might've had cycles of rags to riches in your family or wealthy people or people doing bad things for money or whatever it is. But like, we're all here to break these, these cycles. And I know, first of all, it's not just going to be a holiday house for our family because we're building conference spaces there and retreats for, for people. And I was like, oh, the land was waiting for all of the people that I'm going to bring there because every other owner, they haven't had the mechanism to make it beyond a local, a local business. So this, oh, there's just layers and layers and layers of lessons for me in, in this farm all the I time. I love that. And I love the idea of practicing your money work with respect to property and land, because I think especially for women, that's not something many of us allow ourselves to even want. And so I love that. I know Sandy and I have lots of conversations about land. It's a big part of what we talk about to each other. So similar feelings. But I, but I, I think it's really interesting that when you say 
when you want something so bad, you feel desperate. And then you try to, you try to think of these incremental steps or incremental things to think about. I think a lot of people, what they do then is they convince themselves to stop wanting it. I mean, I think that's, as you were talking, the process you're describing to me sounds so novel because I, I see this play out with myself and our clients and friends. And I feel like people are always like, oh, I want that, but I can't. And then you find a way to talk yourself out of even wanting it or, or to just stop even thinking about it. So it's such that's an interesting thing to explore, I think, for me. Yeah. Well, let's look at the property example, right? Because I do, I do agree with you. It's so symbolic. And especially when you think that, you know, go back a couple of generations, our grandmothers weren't able to own property yeah, in their right. own names, probably. You know, there, you know, there are people in your country and my country that weren't able to to own property. You know, even in our in my country here in Australia, you know, black people weren't even counted in the census until, you know, only a couple of decades ago. So there's a lot of symbolism around that and a lot of charged emotions. But there's one practical thing that I think people really miss around property is I often hear people say, oh, it's a $2 million house, so I can't afford it. Not realizing that, well, you, you don't have to come up with $2 million right now. Do you even know the number that you need to come up with? Because some mortgages required 15%, some might be 20% depending on your income. And positive action you can do, first of all, is to go to the open houses that you don't even think you can afford because it changes you and acclimatizes you to, to the air almost. You know, you, even the first couple of times you'll feel like a fraud and then you'll go, oh, hang on, no, I do, I do belong in a neighborhood like this. And you might realize that other people believe you as well. You know, maybe a realtor talks to you about, you know, well, are you interested in this house? So their belief will bolster your belief a little bit. Go and see a broker and say, I'm buying a house in this neighborhood. Like you have to be able to declare that because you are in the market for a house like that what's my situation? Like, what do I need to do? Because I might go, oh, honey, no, you can't. But here are the three steps you need to do to improve your credit. So you're ready for the next time. But I find, and most of those steps will either cost you nothing or they'll cost you a phone call or it might cost you a consult fee with a, with a broker, which would be hardly anything. And if you're not willing to do that, what makes you think you're really showing the universe that you think you belong in that house or that neighborhood. So they're the seeds of faith that you have to be planting. And each one of those will build your belief. You know, if the mortgage broker believes you, it's in their business to believe you because they know that. Um, same with realtors. They know that people who are just looking often buy a property like a rose mm -hmm. farm. Mm -hmm. So for them, they don't mind if people are coming to look because they know that if they foster that relationship, they're looking for lifetime value of customers. And you might, you might buy something from them later on same with the broker but it's like those things that were like oh no i can't do that well then you don't believe it yet and so you're probably not going to see it until you believe it and the first step is witnessing it right like somebody else might have stepped onto that rose farm as you did and your first thought was i'm too young i'm not ready it's not my time and leave right not even realizing that those are just like these sentences floating in your mind that are going to stop you know, the, the next action to, to get that rose farm. So you had the wherewithal to go, oh, wait a second, you know, like, do I believe what I'm telling myself? No. And how, what else can I start, start to think? But so many people, it feels like it's happening to them and that they don't have the control. They don't have the ability to like, wait a second. Nope. I'm, I'm just dropping that thought. I'm going to think something else. Right. So those types of actions that you're talking about are super helpful to start having that sort of conversation with yourself in your, in your mind. You know, it's funny. I meet people every single month 
who went to see the rose farm. Oh, is that right? And they're like, can't do it. Every single month. Yep. Even the electrician who helped us in this particular house, he was like, oh, I was going to buy the farm and I was going to do a microbrewery. I had someone come the other day. He's like, oh, I was going to buy this. And so it's really interesting first hearing that because I feel like, oh, a lot of people feel like they've got an energetic claim on their space. But also just like that could have been me too. I could have gone on there and go, well, this is a nice dream. But it's not, you know, it's not the right time. And it wasn't, it, it was not a convenient time at all. But you know what? It started because I allowed myself to dream. And even this house, like this is a manifested house. When I first moved to this town 10 years ago, Mark and I would walk along the beach and I'm pointing here because I can see the ocean and the beach just there. We would walk up and down the street and I would say to him, one of these is our houses. Like we don't know which one is going to be our house, but it's one of these properties that I can see. And I would say, I can see it in my eye line now and I'm planting the seed. So this, the name of this street was my password for a long time. And it took years to manifest it. You know, it really did. And that's the thing too. Sometimes people think if it's not an instant manifestation, that means it's not working. And it's like, yeah, but you, ha- you might not be ready for that. You know, you can't just go and run a marathon in a high altitude. You have to acclimatize yourself to that. And that's why, you know, lottery winners lose their money because it's just overnight, you know, but you can start acclimatizing yourself to more and more things. Now you can practice it by going and breathing the air, whatever literal or metaphorical air you can find to do that. Because I was literally walking around this neighborhood for seven years, <laughs> touching the walls. <laughs> I feel that way about business. I feel like the business that we have now is what I wanted from day one, but I wasn't ready. Like I could not have run the company we have now when I was first getting started. And I think it's a lot of humility to realize that about yourself without taking away what you do have when you're just getting started. And I think that that's, I mean, you have to have learned all the lessons to get where you are, to have what you have. Yes. And you know, there's a really good lesson there too about often it's like, well, build it as you go and you do, but also there's, there's just some practicalities, right? We want the overnight success, but like it would probably cause a lot of stress. And I, I talk about this in Chillpreneur about the passion planner business, how she went from shipping, you know, like a thousand a year to like something like 20,000 or 50,000. I can't even remember. And she didn't sleep for months, you know, and that's cool. Some people might be able to handle that, but for some of us, it would freak us out. And this is exactly what happened this week to me. I was saying to Mark, I said, oh, we've had 6,000 people in the program. What would happen? Like, cause I always look at Marie Folio, right? And I go, hey, she's had 60,000 people go through B-School. So like, let's not quit till we've had 60,000 people. And I was like, what would it be like to have 60,000 people? That day, an email glitch went out to say, welcome to boot camp to 65,000 people on our mailing list. And it was, <laughs> I was like, we're not ready. Like we're not, we're not ready. You know, we're, we don't have the systems in place to serve that many people right now. But I can, I can look at that. And actually, I revised that today, Mark. I was like, hang on, let's just aim for like 10,000. <laughs> you know, I was like, let's go from six to 10. Let's not go from six to 65. I was like, I'm going to pull that back from the universe a little bit because I'm not, I'm not ready. It would cause chaos because I haven't acclimatized myself to that level of team and responsibility. And especially, you know, we're recording this at the moment where Marie's ha- having a lot of problems in her group about responding to Black Lives Matter. 
And I'm like, I'm not ready to have that conversation with 65,000 people. I haven't acclimatized myself to being a leader of that magnitude. So I I remember my friend Natalie McNeil said, she goes, I'm not going to market a lot this year. I'm going to build a lot of systems behind the scenes so I can, you know, grow my business even further next year. And I remember thinking, oh, you're allowed to do that. Like you're allowed to consciously manage your growth. And she was like, yeah, I need to like get some customer service systems in place. We need to, we need to change over some systems and like, it's going to be messy. And I went, oh, wow. Never had occurred to me that you could pause and do that. (laughs) Jenny and I. (laughs) So if there was a pause button, we would have used it during COVID because our company allows teachers yoga Pilates bar to teach online. And so I would have killed for a pause buttons for the last three months. I would have loved just stop everyone, stop coming to us. Just stop. Let us get some systems because it just about Oh, it did. It did us. break like us. It was, it was exactly everyone, what you're saying. We, we took turns crying. We tried to not cry at the same time every, every day. So yeah, it's like, a crying stick. We're in a crying rotation. Yeah, you gotta stick yeah. to a schedule. Otherwise it all is lost. but that was, we didn't have a choice. And so it's interesting. I totally agree with you about growth and not being ready, but it happened to us that we weren't ready, but you know what? We figured it out. We figured it out. We figured it out day by day. We, We went from like, you know, two and a half people and some consultants to like 16, 17 people in within a couple of weeks. And I'm just so incredibly proud, but man, what I wouldn't have done for just, just, can we just stop time? Can we just hold up for a we just minute need to, make an to get chart. my head just around what is chart. happening. Just like, let me... <laughs> like, what... How do I or pay people? Crystal ball. Oh, my God. Right? So you could have seen it last year. But we don't have that. And, yeah, I think it's I think it's great. We've all got the capacity to just to jump in and, and make it happen. It's also good to, you know, what would it be to have double the amount of students or, you know, and I, I try and do that sometimes in my finances too. Like, we were just talking to our accountant this this week about you know our upcoming tax bill and and he was like okay well and let's talk about next year because like what are your money goals for next year because let's plan that out as well and how much tax you'll have to pay because I, and this is a really fun exercise by the way go you know the tax calculators we can plug in a number it tells you how much tax you've got to pay go do that with your next money goal because sometimes you have to acclimatize yourself not just to earning it but to like what's the tax implications around that you know and I pay about $800,000 a year in tax, but I was terrified at the start of my business paying any tax. I had to acclimatize myself to like not getting a tax refund and actually having to owe money. And it started off like, oh my God, I have to, I have to pay like $100 worth of tax. And then I just had to acclimatize. So now I'm like, you know, writing my quarterly check going, that's cool. This is fine. Uh, Yeah. I think that's like the adult kind of way to approach that. Like the more tax means you've just made a ton of money, right? Like it's just, it's all in proportion. So it's like something to celebrate in my mind. Like, yeah, we got to pay a lot of tax because we had a great year and I'm happy to pay tax because I have hospitals and roads that don't have potholes in them and, you know, school, you have garbage pickup and all that, the schools and like all the stuff, all the stuff. And so I, I don't ever feel bad about paying taxes. I actually kind of celebrate it, but yeah, well, th- and that's the cool thing, you know. I'm guessing you guys live in Canada by that. <laughs> I live in Canada. Jenny's in <laughs> yeah. the US. Oh yes, okay, yeah. So uh, same with me, you know. I live in Australia, where we have universal healthcare, and but apart from that, I think that the great reframe for me too is I, you know, I grew up on welfare. I got 
assistance to go to school. I'm really lucky for to live in a country that does that. And now I'm like, that was an amazing investment the government made in me mm-hmm, because right? the tax revenue that I'm paying back has has paid for that. Oh my God, like a hundredfold probably by now. And so sometimes I get people who they're starting out in my program and they say, I'm getting some like government assistance. And I feel so guilty and horrible about that. And I'm like, girlfriend, that is the best investment in you. And like, you know, be grateful and don't waste any time feeling guilty about it because you can pay that back so much in, you know, the ripple effect of your business, not just with your tax revenue, but hiring other people. You know, you guys just have what, 17 people. We're supporting a lot of families. Like it feels, that feels really good. I mean, and I, again, was not ready for that until now, was not ready for the heavy weight of supporting people's families. It took a, it took a long time for me to get used to that. The pressure, I think it all goes along with the success, right? And so I think that's the beauty of it taking a little bit of time and it being something you're really intentional about, not just the good parts or the shiny parts of your dreams, but also all of the other parts of them because it's like a whole package. Oh, absolutely. Well, in um, the 2008 financial crisis, I was living in London. You know, I had a, a job in a charity. I had no kids, no staff, no car, no major debts, like, you know, no responsibility at all at that time. And so I was like, oh, there's something happening in the world, but oh, whatever. (laughs) And at the start of like, you know, this year, I was reflecting that too and feeling the burden of having people relying on me in people I hire in my home and help me look after my children. And even like, you know, the local dance school that my kids go to and my local coffee shop and, and and that is one of those leadership lessons of, you know what, women, we can handle that. We can handle, it doesn't mean it's always easy, but like, we've got this. That's okay. Like we can be that wonder woman. I'm just like, this is okay. I can, I can, I can bear it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we need the role models. We all need the role models like you to sort of witness and, and, and show us what's possible. So one of the last questions I have for you is what are you struggling with right now? in your life and in your business? What's the hardest thing for you right now? Yeah, that's, I go through stages every year of like feeling like I don't know what I'm doing and who I'm serving and what I'm doing. It happens like clockwork every January where I'm like, am I supposed to be doing this money work? Like, am I supposed to be doing something else? And I always come back to, you know, it's enough right now. Like I know the steps so I can help people with right now. And maybe in the future it might change, but that's okay just to keep on sharing what I know and, and showing up. So I go through stages of that. And I think, to be honest, the thing that I'm personally struggling with a little bit at the moment is to balance being connected online and knowing all the things because there's a lot more information than when I first started, you know, when I first started online and I'd be on Facebook and like, there was just, they felt like there was less news and less things to be abreast of. And I haven't found the balance at the moment of like, just wanting to be online all the time and not wanting to miss an important part of what's going on in the world. <laughs> and I, it sometimes veers into like unhealthy imbalance. Mm-hmm. And the rose farm is a big part of that. Cause I'll go out there and I'll just pull weeds, you know, like I'll pull weeds for an hour and that, that feels really good. But if I don't have that, like I think before it was like work, 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 work. And part of my work was, well, I have to be online all the time. And so that's where I needed that outlet to be like, oh, I'm going to go and like crack pecans 
and drink wine and pull weeds. That sounds heavenly to me. That sounds heavenly. (laughs) Well, do you know what's so funny? I was like, oh my God, I could do a whole conference of this where I just get people to pull weeds and then (laughs) talk about the lessons from it because we had some friends over on the weekend and one of the guys was like really methodical. Like he wouldn't leave a patch of dirt and it was, we've got this horse arena that's like 65 meters by 25 meters and it's massive and it's covered in weeds. And between the four of us adults, like we just did this tiny little patch, but I found myself going, well, I like to go get the big weeds. And so I like to move on before a patch is done and like go for the big wins. And I'm like, I'm so like that in life. I'm not a complete finisher. I'm like, Ooh, there's another shiny weed. And there's another shiny weed. And I was like, oh my God, I could do a three-day conference just getting people to pull weeds. (laughs) Well, you are building a conference center, so you could do it. You could totally do it. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And I don't even need to teach them about anything else. All the lessons are in that patch of dirt. Oh my God. And then you'd have a weed-free bit of land. So yeah, that's great. That's awesome. All right, Jenny, do you want to lead her through Joy and Hustle? Yes. So Denise, we ask all of our guests to share a joy with our audience, something that's bringing you joy right now in your life and a tool that will help them hustle in their business. Okay. Well, I've totally alluded to it. What's bringing me joy is creating stuff at the farm. So like literally painting things, you know, growing things, pulling weeds, finding partnerships at the farm too. So I realized I can't grow roses. So I partner with people to create micro businesses at the farm. So that's been a joy as well. So for my, my hustle philosophy is chussle. It's chilled, chilled hustle. And that is finding the path of least resistance. So my mantra for this year is preach to the converted. And it's like, yeah, it's okay just to to work with people who want to work with me, who already understand my work. Maybe in the future, I'll go for the people in the other quadrants who are skeptical or whatever. But for this year, my my chussle philosophy is preach to the converted. Love it. You mean you don't have to sell to everybody? No, I tried that. It was fun. (laughs) No, I love that's a great way to phrase it. Can you just explain what you're doing at the farm? You can't grow roses. So what have you done? Explain that. Oh, yes. So in my vision, I was like, I'm just going to have a little holiday cottage that I can go read books at. And instead, I've got a 10 acre property that has five polytunnels of roses. So the first six months, like Mark and I would go out there and like strip roses and prune roses. And and he was like, what are we going to do with all these freaking roses? So he was driving them around and like, you know, oh, do you want to buy some roses for 20 bucks at a time? And so I was like, this is really dumb. So we found local entrepreneurs who want to have a micro business within the farm. So we're looking for at the moment for a florist who wants to take over that part of the farm business. So who will use the roses? Like they can just go pick their own roses and do whatever they want with the roses and make their own business. So Ah. that's a, someone could have a very beautiful, you know, six day a week business selling roses. Mm -hmm. That person is not me. Mm -hmm. Same with, there's a few other little micro opportunities. There's someone who's put beehives on the property. Cause I went to like, I was going to go to a beekeeping course and then I was like, I'm, I'm totally doing that. That's what I'm like in it right now. I just bought a book on beekeeping. (laughs) That's what we haven't even talked about. That's like my dream is to have bees. I know. I didn't know that about you, Jenny. And partner with people. Like there are people who will, who don't have enough land, but they have the hives. So Mm -hmm. we have a local beekeeper. She's going to put six hives on our property. We've got three at the moment and she maintains them. She comes and does them and we just get a percentage of the honey. And I'm like, oh, that is the chillpreneur way to do it. We've built a cafe 
there on site too because traditionally you know people have sold coffee from there and it's like well that's another micro business for somebody you know we can do weddings but I'm not going to plan people's weddings so we've got the partner with a local wedding planner so I think we'll end up with about maybe 10 or so different micro businesses within the farm that for each person they'll be part of a collective where it's that's their business and I can just do what I do best which is I just flit in and out and go oh yeah that sounds good yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so smart. I love that approach. And Jenny, why have you not put bees on your land yet? Well, we just got the land last week. No, but oh, you're Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. No, I want I'm trying to convince my eight year old to start a beekeeping operation. Cause it would it would be amazing to have great honey. I mean more than, and and the world needs more and the world bees. needs more bees. Like, yeah. So Definitely. Oh, definitely. that's so cool. And I didn't know. We've used the flow hives and they're very, they're really pretty looking yeah. and, you know, you can just walk straight up to them and it's, you know, there's just so many little pockets of abundance that we can, we can find. But my lesson around that is that I don't have to do all the things to receive that abundance. I love it. Well, thank you for all your stories and inspiration. And so if people want to learn more from you, where would they go? Yes. Yeah, so I am at I'm at denisedt.com. That's my website. But I hang out on Instagram all the time. So my handles are denisedt everywhere as well. And I love when people send me an aha, you know, reach out on Instagram. If you're reading my book, send me a picture of you reading your book because I love that. And actually, (laughs) if you want to follow the Rose Farm as well, we do have an Instagram for that. And that's at lawnrosefarm.com. Oh, we'll definitely do that. I didn't know there was a whole different account for that. There is. And what's really fun about that too is it's just like I love because I love thrifting too. And so I'll be like, here's a picture of my bread tin that I just got for $25. <laughs> and and I think because I've been on social media for a long time, I'm just a little bit jaded around, you know, likes and comments and stuff. But on my Lawn Rose Farm one, I'm like, yes, someone loved the picture of my teacup that I found. That stuff really makes me happy. I love it. I love it all. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you, Denise. Thanks, ladies. Me too. Talk soon. Thank you. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free. <laughs>